First things first, guys. Mm -mm -mm. I can't get up and push down because I'm attached to wires. I've set the entire system. Happy Easter! Hallelujah! Yeah, I know you guys have been celebrating. Been celebrating with family. Been celebrating with the uh, with the occasional glass of wine. What are you celebrating? A couple days off from work now, man. I'll tell you what we're celebrating. Above all, the fact that Jesus kicked death's butt. That's something to celebrate. Celebrating the, the victory that we've all really been longing for. So I'm pouring myself a glass of wine here. I'm pouring you one too. Hallelujah. Happy Easter, friends. Welcome to the show. You know, you savor a good taste of wine. We're supposed to savor the Word of God and the stuff that we're diving into right now in Easter. I want to let four meditations, four, three things from Scripture and one from an early Christian writing just blow your mind today and blow my mind about the reality of Easter and what this has to do, not just with the stuff of your faith, but with the stuff of everyday life, how this makes your life better. If you want to break into my, my mental flow here <laughs> at any point in time, text your questions or comments to 720-650-0100. The first thing I want to let blow our minds about Easter, about this reality, is that this reality is really real. This stuff actually happened, guys. And that's why it's something to celebrate. That's why life is something to celebrate. Because death doesn't have the final say. This is actually real. This is from Matthew 28. Check this out. Now, sometimes you, you pick up the Bible and you start saying something like, this is from Matthew 28. Before the words are out of my mouth, you're thinking, I'm zoning out because I've probably heard this before. Stop doing that. I mean, if I sip this again, I'm not going to say, well, I already took a sip, so whatever. No. <sighs> Matthew 28. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold... There is a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. The smile is not fake here. How could you read that and not smile? His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Guys, those three words, he is risen, are the best three words ever spoken. And they're the, they're the best three words because they're real. This is not make-believe. Right? This is how we know that all the stuff of our faith, all the stuff that, that when we look at what life's all about, that makes life something worth rejoicing in. It's not worth rejoicing in because it's a nice story handed down from grandma. It's not worth rejoicing in because it's a fairy tale that you have wishful thinking about. That's not the stuff of faith. 
This is worth rejoicing in because it actually happened. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, told us who he is, died for our sins and to prove his love for us, rose from the dead, conquered death, invites us to eternal life in heaven. This is all really real. And the first Christians never believed this stuff as, well, this is true for me. No, these are actual events breaking into history, into time and space. Uh, Dr. Simon Greenleaf was a Harvard law professor. And he, he, he was contemplating the Christian faith he had been raised with and was wondering, you know, like, would this stuff actually hold up in court? Is everybody basing their life on something that's just wishful thinking, nice stories from grandma? So he started to investigate it and he started to write a book about it and he became a more devout Christian than ever. What did this law professor conclude as, as he looked into the events surrounding the, the, the Christian claim that Jesus is God, that God loves us, that, that we're, 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 we're saved by his death and resurrection, that he calls us to heaven? But what's going to put someone away in court for a crime? It's an eyewitness. I saw him do it. But what if a crime has many eyewitnesses surrounding it? Well, the guy's definitely going to jail. And what if all the eyewitnesses are willing to die to uphold their testimony. Case closed. So after all his research, Dr. Simon Greenleaf was more sold on the Christian message than ever. Why? Because at the center of Christianity is this radical claim that this guy that we're placing our faith in rose from the dead. By the way, you rise from the dead, I'll believe anything you have to say about yourself. <laughs> that this resurrection doesn't only conquer death, but verifies everything he taught us about who he is and what life is about. And that we can trust that this resurrection actually happened because all the apostles, guys, these weren't just people dying for a belief system. You'll find people who will die for belief systems throughout history. These people died to uphold an eyewitness testimony. It makes no sense to do that unless what you're testifying about actually happened. St. Peter was crucified. He said, I'm not worthy to die like my Lord crucify me upside down. He died an excruciating death upside down on a cross. St. Bartholomew was skinned alive. If they knew this was a lie and all just make-believe, why would they do that? I mean, all, all Bartholomew had to do was say, dude, drop the knife. Give me a paper and, and pen and a glass of wine. I'll write a new book and call it Da Vinci Code. He didn't do that. He didn't do that because he actually had seen Jesus risen from the dead as did a large group of people who had been following him, not just the apostles, but, but possibly hundreds of the disciples, saw him risen from the dead. Guys, at the heart of Christian faith isn't wishful thinking, and as beautiful as the message of Jesus Christ is, at the heart of Christian faith is not even a beautiful message. It's a person who conquered death. And this is really real. Not like nice story real, real for me. You have the truth that's true for you. No, no, no. This is like the chair under your butt right now kind of real. Two plus two is four kind of real. What does this have to do with my life and with my longing for joy? Guys, I, I can't have real joy in, a, in, 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 a, in an approach to life, in a worldview that I made up for myself and that doesn't, doesn't actually hold water I was driving on the freeway recently, saw a billboard at a car dealership. It said, the meaning of life is to make up your own meaning. Dude, <laughs> no, it's not. If you make it up, it's make-believe. This stuff is not make-believe. All these claims that life has actual meaning because 
There's a God who made us, that, that, that this God created us with a purpose that he died, that he came and rose for us. All these things verified by the resurrection. All this shows us that the meaning of life isn't to make up your own meaning. This is actually true. That's something worth rejoicing in. Happy Easter. Two, let's let our minds be blown by this one, guys. Because this is actually real, because Jesus rose from the dead, we have victory over death. The ancient boogeyman, the ultimate fear, has been conquered. Now, I didn't say that the fear was gone. We have to live with this reality until the other side of heaven. It's not gone. But the, uh, the boogeyman has been defanged. <laughs> and that's really, really good news. Check this out. This is from uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? Okay, this is really cool. Here we have St. Paul literally mocking death. Now, there's some people who, who think that Christian spirituality makes peace with death much in the same way that, that Eastern spiritualities and philosophies make peace with death. And how is that? By surrendering the ego, the sense of self, by blending into the nothing, the nirvana, and then you discover yourself. Guys, that's not Christian spirituality. Christian spirituality is the completion of the self in Jesus Christ. It's full self-actualization in love. Now, some of the methods look the same. If you look at monasteries in Tibet and monasteries in Kentucky, their life of selflessness has, has similar patterns. The end game for Christians is not surrender to death, though. We don't make peace with death because we, we've surrendered ego and sense of self. Guys, we Christians make peace with death because we can look it in the eye and say, guess what? I win. Jesus conquered you. The bee is still flying around, but like St. Paul said, where's your sting? Our Lord ripped it out of your butt, bee, that is death. <laughs> you know, carrying the, the analogy a little further than Paul did. But that's what happened. It's got no stinger anymore. We make peace with it by saying, I win. Jesus conquered death. So one, let's revel in the fact this Easter that all this is actually really real. And by all this, I don't just mean the resurrection. I mean everything that the resurrection verifies. Your hope that there's something more, that there's a God. Your, your, your hope that there's a heaven, that there's something more than the material part of us, something that goes beyond death. We all hope for this. Jesus, Jesus rose and shows us this is true. This isn't wishful thinking. Two, that we win when it comes to death. Yes, you'll experience the pain of decay, of disease, of death, but it's got no ultimate sting anymore. Hmm. Three, let's revel in the fact that this Christian event is the center of our lives. A celebration of our victory over death is the center, not, not just of Christian faith, but of our lives and of all history. And to drive this home, one of my favorite meditations from the early Christian fathers, if you Google uh, ancient homily Holy Saturday, you'll find the whole thing. I'll read a couple pieces of this to you. But it, this is from an ancient homily on Holy Saturday. This homily would have kept me awake. <laughs> this is, oh man, this is just, this rocks my world. I have a hard time getting through this without crying. Forgive me if I start to cry. 
Now, Holy Saturday is when the Lord fell asleep, so to speak. He had died, and from the very first days of, of the church, and this is in our creed, he descended to the dead. He went to the place where people who had gone before him were waiting for the Christian event to happen, waiting for their Redeemer. And they weren't even sure what they were waiting for, but he opened the gates of heaven to everyone who was waiting for redemption, from Adam to Moses. They couldn't enter yet. They couldn't enter the promised land yet. So this ancient homily on Holy Saturday, something strange is happening. Today there's a great silence over the earth. A great silence and stillness. A silence because the king sleeps. The earth was in terror and was still because God slept in the flesh and raised up those who were sleeping from the ages. God has died in the flesh and the underworld trembled. And check this out. He goes to seek our first parents like a lost sheep. He goes to visit the prisoner Adam and his fellow prisoner Eve in their pains, he who is God and Adam's son. And, and, and this obviously, this isn't scripture, but this early church father's meditating on what would have happened. What did this encounter look like? I got to share something with you. I'm not sure I'm allowed to share. Um, but I suppose Sony Pictures or whoever will find this and pull it if I'm not allowed to share. I got to have a long meal with Mel Gibson recently. I'm still not even sure how that happened. Uh, lean into, if you could pray for him with me. I think the Lord's moving in his heart in a powerful way right now and drawing him closer to himself. But he, he told me uh, about some of the screenplay for the movie coming out on the resurrection. And this one image I will never forget, and I'll take it to prayer, because it, images, it, it, it mirrors what, what this early church father talked about. He described this scene, by the way, when, when the dude talks about film, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm in awe, this guy was made for that. Uh, obviously, duh, all right? But like his, his body was electrified, and he, his eyes were like lit up. He was like an average dude until he's talking about something with film. Praise God for your gifts, Lord. But he said hey, there's a scene where Adam and Eve are in dark, in the, in the darkness, in the underworld, waiting for the Redeemer. And Eve is looking at Adam, and a drop of blood falls and hits Adam in the face. And above, our Lord was crucified. It shows that this is what happened. In that moment, a drop of blood falls, and Eve looks at him and she says, It's happening. <laughs> I got chills just now. Anyway, what a powerful image. So our Lord, in this early Christian writing, and I think what, what, what Mel's going to end up doing there, and I hope, Sony, if you're watching this, you let this stay, because I just gave you a free ad. So anyway, what, what he ends up doing there is, was what this early church father was doing. So our Lord went to Adam and said, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. And our Lord proclaims the gospel to Adam. I am your God, who for your sake became your son who for you and your descendants now speak and command author with authority those in prison, come forth. Those in darkness, have light. Those who sleep, rise. I command you, awake, O sleeper. I have not made you to be held a prisoner in the underworld. Arise from the dead. I am the life of the dead. I, your God, became your son for you. Look at the spittle on my face, which I received because of you. In order to restore you to that first divine in-breathing at creation. See the blows on my cheek which I accepted to refashion your distorted form to my own image. See the scourging in my back and he goes through this. See the hole in my side and he says, now arise, let us go. The enemy brought you out of the land of paradise. I will reinstate you no longer in paradise but on the throne of heaven. 
The cherubim throne has been prepared. Its bearers are ready. The bridal chamber is in order. Anyway, Google ancient homily, Holy Saturday. Guys, this event that happened when our Lord rose from the dead is not just something on the, on the, on the timeline of history and then we keep going. All of history folds around this. Every time you go to Mass, you're celebrating the resurrection of the Lord. Every Sunday is a mini Easter. This is official church teaching, man. The, the, the Triduum, during the Triduum, during that three days where we celebrate the, the passion, death, and resurrection of our Lord, the Easter Vigil, this is called the Mass of Masses. Because what happens there? We celebrate every single Sunday. Guys, this event, this victory, this joy, an, an event of unspeakable joy is the center of Christian worship and life as a Catholic. How awesome is that? Got this beautiful comment. Every year I'm blown away. You're learning my language. Bl mind blown. I'm blown away by the Easter Vigil. Love hearing the story of the resurrection. It's so beautiful. Listen, the Easter Vigil, it's massive masses. There's seven readings that goes through all of salvation history. If you've not been to an Easter Vigil, it's Saturday night before Easter Sunday morning. But that Saturday, when the sun goes down, begins the celebration of Easter. It goes through all salvation history. shows how Jesus is the victor over everything. He's the completion of salvation history. And that's where we baptize new Christians coming into the church. And I love the blessing of the, of the water on the Easter Vigil. And it, it, it brings up all these Im images from the waters of creation to the waters of the flood to the water that Moses walked through. And all these different images up to the water coming from Jesus' side. And now bless this water for baptism. It shows how everything that's happened in salvation history is completed in the resurrection of our Lord and converges on the head of the person who's baptized. That's you, by the way. Mm. Christian life is good. Thanks for celebrating this with me. So, this really happened. There's one. Sip the wine I poured for you guys. Come on. Two. This is the ultimate victory over death. We don't have to be afraid anymore. I mean, it, look, you're, you're still going to feel fear in the natural. But wow, what a difference to know you don't have to be afraid anymore. The reason for your ultimate fear is gone. Three. We rejoice that this Victory over death is the center of history. It's the center of salvation history. And then four, this is what's supposed to frame your entire life. Hmm? This event frames your life. By the way, if you haven't got my book, Living Joy, uh, gosh, I feel like a cheesy salesman when I say that. Forgive me. But I'm excited to share this. Chapter 9 is about framing your mind with faith. This is the event that's got to frame how all of reality is seen by the Christian. Now, I'm friends with a lot of great people in film. This guy on the other side of the camera right there is great at it. I asked one of my buddies uh, who's actually filmed a lot of what I've done, a guy named Phil Braun. I said, how did you discover you were good at film? I mean, I think he studied accounting in college. He said, I don't know, man. I, I guess I realized I was just good at putting a box around things. And usually before he captures a good shot outside, he's going like this. Let's try to find the right square to put around stuff. And that's a great summary of all that is art. Look. A great picture. You got the right box around something. That's it. I mean, postmodern deconstructionist art shrinks your view of reality. Beautiful art expands it. You can see a flower at the base of a mountain range. Suddenly you see something new about the whole mountain range. This is Christian faith. This is not part of the picture of life, guys. We grasp all that is life. Death, our trajectory of human history, our purpose, what happens when we die. All the pieces of the picture make sense inside the frame. This frame that elevates it, this frame that makes it all beautiful, and the frame is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The frame is the message that there is a God, He loves you, 
created you with a purpose, that you fell, that he came and redeemed you, that his resurrection conquers death, that you're invited to live in this reality here and now in the church. It's the best news ever. And I know some of you guys are listening to me thinking, man, well, gosh, I'm watching a Catholic thing. I, I, I know this. It's a, my faith's a big deal to me. You know, I want to challenge you. I'm going to push you a little, a little bit here. A lot of people who would say, yeah, I get it. I would say, do you really? So you've got a lot of people who are very devout. For them, their faith is just a really, really big part of the picture. It's not the frame. And they think, you know, no, the frame for my life is a divorce. The frame for my life is, is a mistake I made. The frame for my life is cancer. Faith is a big thing that helps me get through the frame. Or maybe you think that the frame of my life, life is a, the great test, chance to prove myself. It all falls short, guys. All those things I just said, they're just part of the picture. They're just, they're just pages in a, in a bigger story. Hmm? Just one page. A divorce, that cancer, that whatever, just a page. What is a story? It's the gospel. And at the center of that gospel, of that good news, is the truth, the reality. He is risen. We aren't just meant to celebrate this on Easter Sunday or on every Sunday. We are meant to see every event in our lives in light of that frame. Everything. And the scripture I want to share with you about that is from Ephesians. St. Paul, sitting in prison, about to be executed. I, Paul, prisoner of Rome. Oh, he didn't say that, did he? I, Paul, conquered by Nero. No, he didn't say that either. Here he is, surrounded by the oppression of the greatest government the world had ever seen, with a psychotic emperor over him who liked to take Christians, cover them in tar, impale them and light them on fire. In case you haven't liked your presidents, there's Nero. But St. Paul didn't see his life in that frame. I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. <laughs> That's how we saw everything. That's how the early Christians saw everything, guys. You look through the early Christian writings, they almost never mentioned Nero or Rome. They were aware of what was going on. They engaged society. I'm not saying to put your head in the sand, but it didn't consume them. See, because there was bigger, better news than stuff like Nero and Rome, and I think in their gut, they knew somewhere deep down inside, Rome's going to fade away, Nero's going to die. 2,000 years from now, Chris Stefanik is going to be unformed, talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. <laughs> there was bigger news on their mind. The stuff that we celebrate on Easter, the fact that this really happened, that this is our ultimate victory over death, that this is the central event of our lives, it's the celebration. This is meant to be the frame wherein we see everything. This is what we celebrate today, brothers and sisters. I'm sorry, I got a, got a great question. Can you pull that back up on the screen? Because I want to answer it right now. Praise God. This is something worth raising a glass to. Can I hear an amen to that? Go ahead. Give me a loud amen, even though I can't hear you. You're watching. All right, someone asked, what do I do, what, what traditions to celebrate Easter with my family? Okay, I highly recommend this. I, I mentioned Easter Vigil. If you can get to Easter Vigil, praise God, go. If you can't get to the Easter Vigil, light a fire in your yard or in your house or put a fire on the TV, all right, if you're in, in a city apartment somewhere. Read the seven readings for the Easter Vigil. And I did this during, um, I had one of the most profound Easter Vigils I ever had. It was during COVID. It was during the first uh, wave of COVID, the first lockdown, when no one really understood what the heck was going on, but there was a whole lot of fear of death. And we went in our yard, and I lit a fire that was uh, so big from our Christmas tree that I had saved for this occasion. 
that we uh, almost burned the neighborhood down. But hey, no, we, we, did, we didn't. Um, be careful with fire, by the way. And we lit this fire. We all gathered around it. And, and I read those seven readings. And then I read the Exalted. Google it. It's part of the Easter Vigil. And it's this beautiful ancient hymn that goes through salvation history. Uh, and then we renewed our, our baptismal promises and blessed all the kids of holy water. And it, it was one of the most powerful Easter experiences I ever had. So I recommend doing intentional things like that. Also, Easter morning, we run down. I, the first thing I do, we don't let the kids just break into the candy immediately, all right? First thing I do, I open up the gospel. And I, my favorite Easter reading is from the Holy Gospel according to John. And this might shock you in case you don't know where to find the Easter reading. It's toward the end of the Gospel of John. It's the twist at the end of the story, right? Uh, man, I just love this. John chapter 20, when Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. I get, okay, I, I would say I read it. I cry through it. I get like two sentences in. You know, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Man. As she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had been. One at the head, one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? So this is the old order of things that, that, that's passed away. We had to, to weep with uncertainty about what happens after we die. She said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they laid him. Having said that, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know it was him. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Woo! Hallelujah! So I read that to the kids, uh, and we say a prayer before we do anything else. Head off to Mass. It's not that complicated, guys, but... These are things your kids never forget when you do them. I mean, that, that, I just read to you, it took like 90 seconds. Do that with your kids before you dig into the candy or anything like that at all. Brothers and sisters, what a joy to be with you guys. I just love you, and it's just great to be part of a family of faith with you. So raise a glass today. Uh, the Easter octave, this is Easter Monday, all right? So it's not just one day. We know how to party. Easter goes all seven, all eight days, all right? So through next Sunday, we celebrate every one of these days is an Easter day before we begin the Easter season, the seven weeks of Easter. Dude, yeah. Raise a glass with me. Here's to your victory over death and to God showing you that he loves you, that all this is real, that the center of your life and faith is a celebration, and that this is the ultimate redeeming frame wherein you see every event in your life. Hallelujah and happy Easter, my friends. Thanks for being with me. Man, wasn't that great? Listen, if you don't want to be happy, be sure not to subscribe. But if you want a more joyful life, the kind of life that God created you for, the kind of life Jesus promised when he said, I came to give you life to the full, then make sure you hit subscribe and share this channel with everybody you know.